Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with my longtime friend, Evan Bernard, about Dogs on Acid's self-titled 2015 album and the Philly scene at that time, Algernon Cadwallader, and living in the legendary Big Mama's warehouse. We also chat about watching TV in the morning, movies that are so bad they're good, and how I learned to love The Grateful Dead. Evan plays in the Super Weeks, No Thank You, and Bad Heaven. Also, check out the Super Weeks Super Weekly Podcast. It goes deep into more Philly lore with longtime buds. Okay, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, where my co-host Sarah Blumenthal and I talk about records from our past. Go subscribe now for exclusive weekly feeds. Okay, let's chat with Evan. Hey, Evan, how's it going? Going all right. You know, just uh, drinking some seltzer, editing some some songs while trying to finish final mixes of some of the Super Weeks, Super Weekly, Supercast song of the weeks that I, you know, uh, haven't quite finished yet. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you take time off of it, since it's like a Super Weekly thing, do you then have to do like, you have to make up for the weeks that you missed song wise well we always get the song done week of it's just like the version on the podcast every week isn't necessarily the final one and we'll update it as it goes along sometimes just because i'll be like well this is due tomorrow and uh (laughs) i wanted to add harmonies and play an organ but it's like you know midnight on thursday night we release them on fridays and i'm just like okay well uh i'll just do that tomorrow and we'll put it in and like people just hear it without like the background shit and they won't even nobody will notice yeah and it's like to put the songs on spotify but i did it's it's been a really pretty insane summer for me so i'm like way behind on this shit and i'm like all right here's some songs from july that i haven't put on spotify yet because i'm a bad person yeah, it's uh, there was like something about with even putting this out every week and I probably won't miss a week, but I was like if I I was like I really don't want to miss a week. And then Sarah was like, "You know it'd be okay if you missed a week." And then I was like, "Oh yeah, this is just something I elected to do." Like, <laughs> you know, like it's it would be fine. <laughs> it's fine if you miss a week. You know. We didn't want to miss a week, but then the hurricane happened, and oh. like we were supposed to record the night of the hurricane, and Andy was it was the Andy Black episode, which is you know has just recently come out because we did it three weeks after we were supposed to. Uh, I, we're not, we're very not ahead on our stuff. We're always rather behind, and. You know, oftentimes we're like, hey, it's Monday. We got to release an episode on Friday. Time to like have a chat with somebody this week at some point. And like Mm. we'll be have been talking to a bunch of people and like figure it out. But yeah, you know, taking time off wasn't 
the plan, but at the same time, we were just like, fuck it. Chris and I were out in Chicago working on a Super Weeks record. Um, you know, Hopalong played Pitchfork Fest, and we went to see them, and then, you know, just was hanging out, doing cool shit, seeing cool people, and working on tunes. Yeah. So, be damned, the podcast, for all of that cool shit. Yeah, I mean, Chris had to go try out skate parks in Chicago, and I had to, you know, I don't even know what I really did. I just kind of laid in bed a lot, and... Yeah. Uh, well, he wakes up a lot earlier than I do. He's like a six o'clock in the morning, like waker. I don't know when you wake up. Uh, I probably wake up. Well, I don't know naturally, but my dog wakes me up every day. Uh, before it kind of depends, but usually around like seven thirty, because that's like that's original. That's like usually when I get up, anyways. So yeah. I don't know if it's gotten earlier because. And now that I've been working from home some, I'm like, you could leave me alone for a little bit. But, you know, it's it's a tradition to her. So it's like she bugs me. I jump out of bed. She jumps into my spot. And we have a thing. I don't like it on the weekends, but I just try and live with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, at You know, at, at her age, it's like whatever she asks to do, just let her do it. Um, so I just, on weekends, I just go and go on the couch and then go back to sleep uh, sometimes. But... Sometimes I'll stay up and watch Highlander the series at 7.30. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, honestly around when I get my best TV watching done as well in the morning. Yeah. It also feels appropriate to watch a show like that that early. Like it feels like when you were a kid and you were watching like, I don't know if you remember the show Viper, you know? Mm Mm-mm. It's just like you're not allowed to watch it past noon, it feels like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> we are not here to talk about Highlander the series, Viper, or uh, I think it was called First Night about the vampire cop that was on USA. We're not here to talk about that either. Uh, mm, we are... Hold on. You're going to have to rewind. <laughs> what is vampire cop? Okay. There was a show on USA uh, called First Night, I believe, and it was K-N-I-G-H-T. Okay. So he was a vampire that was a cop. And he would come across other vampires. And he worked at night. I guess he didn't have to. I guess he had something worked out where he never had to do day shifts, which I think would be really complicated with, like, I assume people would assume that you would be up during the day, but nothing on this show um, about that. He was always just doing his cases at night, you know? So. I feel like when your protagonist is a vampire, I think you can throw most logical anything's out the window you know what i mean it's like if there's a vampire who's a cop in this world yeah i'm sure cops can ask to be on the night shift that doesn't seem so Mm. far-fetched yeah they're like you're a vampire we didn't we didn't assume vampires existed but now that we know that they do you can work the night shift (laughs) uh and uh, i remember um yeah, thinking about the logic thing, it was like one night with an old roommate that you know, Wes Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched, it was like one night we're going to watch Total Recall, then the next night we're going to watch Commando. We watched Total Recall, he had never seen it, he thinks it's awesome. Then the next night we watched Commando, when the movie ends he goes, a little far-fetched, I couldn't believe any of it. And it's like, we just watched a movie about going to Mars and you were cool with that. <laughs> and because he can pick up logs, like... <laughs> you're not into that you know it's like they're both as unbelievable 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the type of movie watcher who, you know, I don't care about rules. I don't either. Like in it, I'm just like, I'm here for the entertainment. I just watched Batman and Robin for the first time, and I'm pretty sure it's the greatest movie ever made, even though Chris will argue with me to death that it's it's a poorly made movie, and I'm just like, I don't know, it's so ridiculous and over the top and bad that it's good kind of thing. I kind of feel that way about Total Recall, too, because Arnold is just such a bad actor that it immediately becomes incredible. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Have you? Like, uh, do you follow any of the Fast and the Furious franchise? See, I have never, but every person who is in my life is like, this movie, these movies are made for you, yeah. specifically. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I should, but I feel like I'm saving it for a special occasion when I'm like unable to get out of bed and I don't want to binge like a regular 12 episode Netflix series mm-hmm. or something. I want to binge a 12 movie franchise where it's a, just like, you know, a two day I just lay in the bed because I'm not able to do anything else. This is apparently how my brain works is I'm just like, oh, I'll save that for when I'm bedridden. Yeah. I I, mean, we, I just watched Fast 9 um, and there were instances of basically like a car would flip someone in the air. They would get like thrown from the car and then another car would speed up to catch that person. And I was like, this is the best movie ever made. You know, Sounds great. Yeah, because of because of that, it was just like there are no rules. There's cars flying, and stuff. You know, that's yeah, what I want. This is what I want. That's what I want out of a movie. That's what I'm talking about. Just all of the diehards too, where it's just like, you know, jumping a a car off of like a one of those trucks with the car trailers on it, and you go up the ramp of it, and you crash the car into a helicopter in the sky, just like. Yeah. Brilliant. Unbelievable. Yeah. And one of, I think it was the fourth one, he kind of jumps off like an overpass onto like a plane. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like a, it's like some fancy plane that flies low. And then he's kind of just hanging out on the wing. But also on the second Die Hard movie, he is on the wing of a plane. And that's kind of like before he was like supernatural John McClane. So, you know, so I guess he, well, he's always had those powers then, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I like that kind of movie. Those are the best ones. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Um, so I guess going into what we're discussing in some facet today. Uh, so Dogs on Acid's self-titled LP from 2015 that came out on J Tree Records. That was August 28th. And so you were usually what I say. The next question I say is, uh, when was the first time you ever heard this record? But you were there from like day one. So you saw like from the ground up. Well, the first time I heard the record with actual words on it mm-hmm. was like pretty, pretty near the actual release of the album. Oh, okay. Because we all moved out of like, I still ran the studio at Mama's. Mm-hmm. you know, for many years afterwards, but um, we all moved out like very right around the time that this record came out, you know? Mm. Yeah. And then there was like a new generation of uh, mm-hmm. warehouse people. And then now the warehouse is, I guess, no more in terms of people living there. It is just no more in general. Okay. The whole, what is it now? 
I don't know. Unin- <laughs> uninhabitable. Oh, okay. So um, I didn't know if they already like flipped it in their like condos or something. Um, no, it like so long and the short of the story was like you know as you know the warehouse it was just like tons and tons and tons of people you know cycling in and out of it lots of artists and musicians and whatnot mm-hmm. and uh eventually the hands got further and further away from the original folks who started it and you know eventually there were a couple bad seeds who were living there and you know one of them was asked to leave and he just flat out said no yeah and he's like no i'm not moving out you can't make me move out and it's like no i guess we can't like nobody could get him to leave and um you know that caused a lot of the other people to actually leave and then different people started bringing in a more unsavory group of people and uh you know they started doing things like painting over the murals in it and like just kind of resetting the place to be like more of their needs and you know the studio didn't really get along with them and the older generation of artists and musicians and stuff like it was just like a weird thing where it was at odds they were trying to get the studio folks to not use the bathrooms and stuff and they were doing you know things that were way more punk than anything we ever did like jump the <laughs> Jump! They were, you know, they jumped the electric meter, uh-huh. and uh, they were gonna jump the gas meter, and we were like, okay, there was a bunch of shit that blew up in Philly like last week because of, you know, fucking with the gas. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not do that. Yeah. Um, and they were like, no, we're gonna do it, and so we got our landlords involved, and we tried to figure out a way to make it so that you know, that wouldn't happen and we could get the unsavory group of folks out of there and try to like take it over and refresh it into what, you know, give it kind of a reset, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that didn't end up working. We moved all our stuff out and they wouldn't leave kind of thing. Mm. You know, I, I could talk all day about this kind of stuff, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, but yeah, I heard dogs on acid obviously when they were practicing and whatnot in the warehouse when they when Algernon ended. Yeah. And uh, you know, Peter and Joe continued doing you know, their I mean, they were their best friends. They played music forever, you know, it only made sense to continue. Um But yeah, I don't know. Always heard them jamming in the studio and always heard them I well to set it up a little bit more, like I, I I really liked Dogs on Acid when it came out, um, but and this is I feel like I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I kind of like wonder like what that transition from Algernon to Dogs on Acid was because I feel like it's like it was a, always a hard thing to really like talk to Peter about, and I didn't come to it as a place of like why aren't you still doing Algernon because I feel like when someone ends a project, it's I just let them have it, you know, like it's kind of, it's kind of weird where people like go to you and they tell you like they loved your last project in a way. Like people will do that to totally. me sometimes. And it's like, I have this new project, but then they want to opine about like your old one. And it kind of puts you in a weird place. So I never wanted to do that to Peter. 
But do you know, like, was it just wanting to move to another project, or what was that transition like? Well, the big transition was Peter moved to guitar. Yeah. So Peter was actively writing the songs. Okay. Like, in Algernon, I believe that, like, they would come to the band with riffs. At least I know when Colin was playing guitar in Algernon, and, you know, you can talk to any of these guys about this stuff. I'm, I'm like, the second... Second hand, I, I forget what the term is for me right now, but you know, uh, Colin or Joe would, or maybe Pete would come to the band with a riff. Um, like I know Pete wrote the song Fun, like he was like, Here's mm -hmm. this, you know, here's this bass riff, and Joe was like, Well, I have this one guitar riff idea kind of thing, and you know, they'd put songs together like that, or like Tank would literally write a drum beat and they would record it and then like make a song on top of it and do shit like that. So it was like, you know, I think this was Peter cause he always had Peter, the piano eater and, mm -hmm. um, various other projects, bum fashion that he did with bean who drummed in snowing and whatnot. Um, but he, you know, was a songwriter, wrote songs on guitars and I don't know if he had this stuff, saved up or not i never really asked them about it i was just like oh pete's playing guitar now this is awesome pete's yeah. a great guitar player he played guitar in halfway to holland as well you know yeah so to me it was like oh peter's playing guitar joe's playing guitar like colin left algernon before parrot flies so like joe had all the guitar duty for a long time and uh this takes the pressure off joe and like honestly it wasn't like, you know, I would always hear them practicing through the wall and stuff, but it wasn't until like I actually saw them play that I realized like a lot of the guitar parts, like Peter's guitar playing is awesome. Like yeah. I didn't real, I was like, oh, that's like a cool riff that Joe probably wrote, but it was like, no, nah, I was, that's, that's the riff Pete wrote for this song. And then like, I got to know his guitar playing and got to, then I could start picking out like him and Joe and, uh. You know, I don't know. It was just really cool to experience. I don't know. I I don't know yeah. where I'm going with this or well, I what guess question you're you even like ask. Essentially, <laughs> him just basically switching to guitar kind of like changed the sound so much that it became its own thing. But it also, I guess, might have been a verbal like, let's not do Algernon anymore too, coupled with that. So somewhere in the middle is, you know, the Peter Helmus truth. Uh, right. Well, it's also you're you're making music, you know, of that sounds like what you're listening to or what you're influenced or just like what you're, what you're feeling, what your vibe is, you know, mm -hmm. like it's like those dudes weren't really listening. They like, they would listen to Joan of Arc and stuff, but like they weren't really like in that space, like of what they were listening to. Like they were listening to a lot of, you know, Yola Tango and yeah. built to spill and like that kind of stuff around that time. Um, like, you know, I'm sure all of us were, but, uh, it, it felt like the natural direction that they would go in, you know? Yeah. Whatever year it was that I went on tour with Mike Bell in the movies, um, I don't really remember us listening to emo, I guess that would be aligned with what Algernon sounded like in the van at all, at all times. And it wasn't that we didn't ever, but you know, it was like, we probably listened to Wilco or Weezer you know, more than we did, uh, you know, anything else on that tour, you know. Elvis Costello. Yeah. That kind of stuff. 
Yeah. A lot of that. A lot of power pop and stuff. They were like, Pete was really heavy into like Marshall Crenshaw. We were also around Dogs on Acid time, like me and Peter and Joe, and then eventually Greg were playing in Mike Bell and the movies all together. So, you know, all that kind of stuff we were listening to. Mike is a huge power pop guy. Obviously, Weezer, like you said, Built to Spill, just like that kind of stuff. Just like jam, j- a lot jammier, a lot, you know. Just way more rocking, way less like, you know, alternate tunings and noodles and kind of stuff. Yeah, it just happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you grow up a little bit. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess like thinking about you just hearing it then around that time, like, and seeing secondhand like them getting on Jade Tree and the whole, <laughs> the whole Jade Tree of it all is, is a story that, that felt like, I remember at, at a point like before, one of late bloomers records like it was like i was like trying to get on j tree super hard it was like can you pass this along to you know uh darren you know it was like my thing um but yeah that was like of that time frame it was it seemed to be like where things were gonna head yeah i don't really remember what ended up happening with all the j tree stuff i just remember that I mean, it was cool. I was like, yo, this is sick. My friends are putting this out on Jade Tree, like, you know, a little bit around the same time we were doing, you know, we did like Spirit of the Beehive stuff a couple years after this record came out, and that was going to come out on Jade Tree and stuff, and it's just, I don't know. They were always a label I, you know, I looked up to. I was like, this is the shit. Darren was also my teacher in college for a long time. So, well, not, you know, not a long time, but college. Yeah, it was very exciting around that time frame. Yeah, to see them, you know, not even for someone that's from that area. Uh, it was, you know, it felt like, yeah, people that I was friends with, acquaintances with, I was like, they're all going to be on J-Tree, and this is going to be the best label ever. I mean, it was, you know, and I, I, I think what I had heard was just like, you know, I guess you kind of realize you're kind of getting over your head because at that point, like, J-Tree had kind of slowed down a bunch, you know, and, um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, and we both don't, but um, that was, you know, like a strange time, and it kind of felt like when that kind of fell apart uh, with J-Tree, it was, <laughs> it was like, I, I'm surprised, like, more bands didn't break up with it, but it's, you know, Dogs on Acid went with it but I guess for different reasons. Yeah, I think that was definitely part of it, definitely taking the wind out of their sails a little bit. I mean, I don't know the ultimate reason Dogs on Acid ended up breaking up in the end. Um, I know, you know, it had to, like, it had to do, I don't know if it had to, anything to do with Joe leaving, really. Um, I don't know. You got to ask Pete Nathan and Nick, why they, I see, this is the thing is it's just like, these are my friends. These are people who Mm -hmm. I see all the time. So I'm never just like, Oh, why did you break up your band? Well, yeah. And also like, um, I mean, they, now in my head, I feel like they just went right along to Yankee bluff. I was like, well, this is cool too. And so I never, now I wonder, I'm like the why, but the why doesn't really matter. You know? Um, it's like, well, we got Yankee Bluff and Yankee Bluff is really good too. So usually that's how my brain goes. Then I have this other side where I'm like, but what did happen? Like we could have had more dogs on acid, but 
They have I a whole nother s- record written. Oh, damn. And like, I got to see them play a bunch of songs live, like shortly before they stopped playing. And it was really fucking good. And, you know, I've talked to Nate, like Nate, um, recorded all the bass on the new bad heaven record mm-hmm. that we were working on this past year. I guess we just finished it, but hanging out with Nate, Nate was like, those songs were really fucking good. And I really wish we had like a documentation of it. I was like, dude, me too. Like I, you know, this might sound crazy, but like, uh, you know, dogs on acid is, I, I like it more than Algernon, you know, I'll just come yeah. out and say it. Like I love Algernon. Algernon was my favorite band for many, many years. I, you know, toured with them, uh, tour in bands or just like hanging out with them. Um, they're some of my best friends. I like, you know, really loved, I, I, I feel like every member of that band, like I am there. Well, like I, I feel like Joe and Pete are like my older brothers, you know, like I look up to them so immensely and like, they made me into very much who I am today. I feel like they are like my parents, you know, like I've, I'm, I feel like I took a bunch of things from Pete and took a bunch of things from Joe when I was living with them and like inherited those traits because I looked up to them so much, spent so much time with Algernon. But when they came out with this Dogs on Acid record, I was like, this shit is like the best record that I've ever, like I... Up till that moment, you know, I was like, I don't think any of my friends have ever made a record that I like this much mm-hmm. or that even today, like, you know, I listened to it today before doing this podcast. I went to the gym and I put it on repeat and I was just like, this is just so fucking good. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I always, I'm a big fan of like being able to hear everyone's personality in their playing and I feel like this was the culmination of being able to hear like you know everyone is very distinctly them on this record and I love it yeah I the production on this record like it's able to kind of capture like even thinking about some of like the Peter and Craig stuff or like the early Mike Bell things like you know just like the some of the lower fire recordings that were kind of coming out of the warehouse uh but it, it just feels like you can still like hear everything. And when you're listening to it with headphones, it's like, it's like lo-fi enough, but just so it has like the character, but then it still has all the bells and whistles. So it's like, I don't, that's like, I don't know how, cause I feel like if it's like, if you go one, if you try and go one way, it's gonna. So yeah, that balance, I, I don't know how to get it. I mean, you all are the more of the engineers than me, but, uh, I think they did it to tape. I'm pretty positive they did that record to tape. And it has a tapey sound, you know, that gluey sound. Mm. I don't know if I'd call it lo-fi, but it definitely, like, is... It just sounds really glued together. Yes. Like, it feels like a band playing in a room. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's enough separation that you can be like, oh, there's Pete's guitar. Oh, there's Joe's guitar. Nate's bass is, like, really forward. Nick's drums, obviously, um, are also forward but it's just like you can hear everything clearly you can hear everyone's personality and the parts that they're playing and it's just like i don't know i i just love it i adore that record so much also peter's lyrics on that record are just next level i think i really think that like you know in algernon there's like a lot of fun wordplay the lyrics are still good 
and it's always fun and interesting, but this one, it's just like Peter lets his emotions out and like those words fucking hit. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely like goes more like holds it to the chest more or whatever the expression would be like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like Peter, like we're saying, but just, yeah, I feel like I've spent so much time around Peter. Um, but it's like when I listen to Dogs on Acid, it's like, oh, those are some of the things he wasn't always saying. Because, you know, like sometimes he was either quiet or either like kind of like fucking around with you in like a nice way. But, you know, um, but you're like, oh, Peter's thinking that you know, when you're listening to it. is So and that's where it struck me. It's like because sometimes with um, kind of emo stuff that, I, you know, Algernon was kind of a part of, you feel like some of that wordplay is almost to kind of like shield someone from saying what they actually mean, you know, and that that's potentially not always the case, but it's like, you're just like, just let the guard down a little bit, you know, and dogs on acid is that it's just right there where I would say, you know? And it's like really interesting, you know, cause I spent so much time with those people around that time and Peter and like, you know, the record is essentially, the great Peter Helmus breakup record of 2015 yeah. or 2014 or whenever they broke up. And it's just like, there are like specific lines on the record that, you know, I, I can almost like vividly see him the moment that he felt what he's feeling. And like, I feel like that's such a crazy experience to me because I can listen to this record and I can, like see exactly where Peter is and exactly how he's feeling in that moment because I was there. Yeah. And like, I've never had that with another record before, aside from my own where I'm singing about me. So it does, it's yeah, so like a different, yeah. it's a different experience, but it's just like, I don't know. So insane. And as somebody who records records, and, um, you know, I'm always very grateful that people allow me to, uh, collaborate with them on their art and their it's, you know, art is really personal and music lyrics are personal. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like being able to have that in like, you know, being able to place the time and place and understand exactly how Peter was feeling in that moment, just, I feel like amplifies whatever that emotion is in whatever particular song, like so much for me where I'm just like, wow, I can like really f like you saying this, I can really feel what it is you're, you're feeling. And, um, I don't know if that's like, you know, somebody put like the Konami code in or something for me, or like <laughs> if I, uh, you know, I, I, I play that record with game shark on, but like, it's, I don't know if it's a cheat code, but it's fucking amazing. And I, I think maybe that helps add another level of dimension to this record for me. But I think regardless of that, it's still an outstanding, you know, piece of work. Yeah. I mean, I, to what you're saying, like I felt the same way and I'm like a bunch of people in a lot of geography removed from it. So I, I feel like I can, you know, feel that in it. And a lot of times we kind of break up, kind of records you feel like there's like a blame put to another person but on this it feels like there's like more ownership 
you know, there, there's, I guess it's, you know, being a little bit more mature, like, and especially even if we're kind of just, if I'm talking about, you know, the cliches of emo, a lot of times it's, it's definitely like a, someone did this to me kind of thing, but there's like an equal stock or more like introspectiveness on this that I can feel, you know, so just saying yes to you. I, I, I feel like there's definitely some of it. There's also like, you know, I don't know if blame is the word I would choose, but it's definitely like if you look at the lyrics to the prick, mm-hmm. like that's really, you know, oh boy. It's yeah. re- they're like it's like scathingly, you know, it's not angry at that person, but it's just like it just feels very agitated and like musically it feels that way. The amount of distortion on like the guitars feel that way. I don't know. It's I I love it. I think that I mean that's definitely one of my favorite songs freaking ever. Um but I think Peter's lyrics are absolutely incredible on that song and I think that they it really it really comes out. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I was better at speaking on things instead of being like it's just so good, bro. It's just like well, sometimes I feel like people would say, like, well, if you hit, like, a fifth as you're doing an anguished vocal, like, I can never, like, speak in those ways. Like, I don't know. You know, I feel like there are certain songwriters that potentially know the right note to hit when they want someone to feel anguish, and it's like, you know, I, I can't do that, and I can't do that in speaking. So what I'll mm-hmm. do instead is... What do you think is... Or what is your favorite song on the record, if you had to pick one? Oh my god. Um I mean <laughs> it's so it's so that's such a hard question. Um and Peter will uh, be angry if you pick the wrong one. I don't think Peter will care. <laughs> I don't think Peter would care if I even liked the record or disliked it. Uh I mean for me, it's going to be the prick or ideal decanter or no trigger or keep yeah. in touch. Those are probably the four that I love the most. Fifth of July, maybe fifth of July is actually that's the one like that one. I is one lyrically where like, you know, it's about Peter being in the warehouse and Peter's ex partner singing, you know, the the line I can hear you singing. Like, you're in my room, I can hear you singing, like, they're having band practice. It's just like, I don't know. It's, it brings you so close. It brings me so close in dimension because, like, I, you know, could have just been walking through the warehouse at that very moment. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, um, if I have, it's also hard to give an answer, but um, nine times is one that I feel like I go back to a lot. I mean, Really, it's like this whole thing is like one whole document. So it'd be it's very hard endeavor to just pick one out of it. But um, kind of like thinking, I guess, in terms of that relationship at the time, uh, it's just it makes me think of like there's like a Super Chunk book or Merge Records book where it's like there's a point in Super Chunk's lyrics where the songs that Mac are writing are about Laura you know, and she's on stage playing it. It's not at that close, but, but yeah, it's still like, you know, the person that these songs are about, like kind of knowing these groups in Philly, it's like, 
and I don't know the ins and outs of it, so what I'm about to say might just be false, but it's like a lot of times it felt from the outside that these kind of social groups still somewhat stayed intact, even if like people broke up and, you know, um, and so, yeah, to have that kind of like closeness, even though you're not close, kind of puts you in a weird position, you know? I, I would say for the most part, the social group stayed intact. I feel like it was, you know, the breakup, you know, and Joe ultimately, uh, Joe plays in a lot of great bands. Joe was playing in a great band and Joe continued to play in that great band with Peter's ex-partner. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like a, um, a divorce and, you know, one, uh, couple gets to take the dog and the couch, uh, <laughs> a real human interaction amongst, uh, social groups or, a lot more complicated than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like the band that Joe went to is, is amazing. Like you said, so it's, it's hard to be like, what could have been? And also what, what ended up happening with Yankee bluff is like, well, we got a good thing out of it. So, you know, even with dogs on acid breaking up. So the things that led to, I guess, even if you think about it from like Algernon up to dogs, it's like, I can't be like mad about any of it. Like, you know, so it's, it's all, these are all good things, even if, but it also makes me think, I think about this a lot in terms of like people kind of moving from, and this could be a perception, um, like them moving from Algernon to these other projects. And I don't know if this is necessarily like felt this with Hopalong cause it wasn't like Joe starting Hopalong and already was a thing, but you feel like people can't just let people grow. You know, and you see the same thing with snowing and you see the same thing with Algernon. And it's like these people have moved on to other amazing projects, you know, but it's like but sometimes the world won't let them if I'm saying that right. Oh, yeah. Have you speaking of amazing projects, have you listened to Nate's solo record? Yeah, it's incredible. Like. It's. Nate is one of those people that has never made a bad song. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. as soon I wasn't aware of Nate's writing until Yankee Bluff and, you know, as soon as those two guys started putting that stuff out, I was like, "Oh my god. Nate is so good at songwriting and Peter is obviously still so good at songwriting." And it's just like, I don't know, I love Love is always worth it. I think that Nate totally killed it on that record. And I'm, I don't know, just so proud of my friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you feel that kind of, uh, did you feel that when Dogs on Acid were around? Like, were people, was there any like hesitancy? Not with them. I mean, I felt like they kind of moved on to this new vibrant thing. But did you feel that in terms of like, did they discuss that or did you just feel it? Yeah. I feel like I just felt it. I feel like there wasn't any real discussion like that. Yeah. I feel like, well, I feel like with Dogs on Acid, like that's one of the conversations, like, you know, that saying the real ones know. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I'll have that conversation with a lot of people where people will be like, yo, I love Algernon, but that Dogs on Acid record, mm-hmm. that shit is unreal. And I'm like, yo. Definitely. That's how I feel about it. And like, you know, again, I'm not 
trying to discount Yankee Bluff or anything because they've still still those guys have consistently been able to put out some of my favorite music I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, I mean, Peter wrote that song Grateful Dead for my little brother after he passed. And like that song brings a tear to my eye and means so much to me that like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm physically feeling a reaction right now. Just like talking about it. Yeah. I guess it's like, I've never been in a project that's like, so well liked i mean i get the little bits of like somebody that can't you know the one person that came to a show and they want to bring up like three bands back you know and they're like oh wish you were still doing meth mountain and it's like bro that was like 10 years ago (laughs) you know or more at this point but it's like it really doesn't happen to me so i can't imagine like what it's like to be them to constantly get like algernon this algernon that yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they even do anymore. I feel like at the time, like when Dogs on Acid was around, maybe they did more so. Again, I wasn't aware of it because I was just so fucking into what they were doing. Yeah. That I was just like, sucks Algernon's gone. I'll miss seeing those songs played live and like the feeling of those basement shows because they're incredibly nostalgic for me. But like, you know, I'm down to move on and move forward with it because this shit is slamming and I love these people and I only want to see what this can turn into. And like anytime anybody in that band is going to be, you know, is going to put out music, I'm going to listen to it. And I can almost guarantee you, aside from us being friends, like our tastes will be aligned and I will love whatever they make. Mm -hmm. I know from like personal experience, like when they came down like the winter of 2015, it's like comparatively, I think if like, let's imagine if, if Algernon had come to town around that same time, like easily, just without a doubt, like, you know, 50 kids easily, like no problem, you know, and I know the number would be higher than that, but it's like, you could count on that. Like when dogs came down, it was like, you know, like five people paid and not, uh, you know, but it's just, it was a reality of the situation. And it's like, I, I, I get, I get upset that like people can't essentially at that point in dogs on acid, it was Nick, Peter and, uh, Joe and Joe might've left the band right away, but on paper there were at one time, it was like basically everyone that had been an Algernon at that point. And it's like, people couldn't make the jump you know, to go, it's like, this is like, come on, come on. Yeah. It was quite literally the original Algernon with Nate, who, you know, was in Glockamora and snowing. Uh, so I don't know, to me, that's like as close to a super group as you can get, Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, you're getting three quarters of the original lineup of Algernon for the first EP and the first record. And this guy who has, you know, is essentially like the unsung king of the world of emo playing in Glockamora and snowing. Yeah. And like, I mean, at that time he was also playing in a gunk. Yeah. Which like, God, that shit is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely speaking of a band that, um, you know, it that's like the true real one snow kind of thing. Oh, dude. That, for that band is... Those two records, I think, are maybe, like, in Philadelphia, everyone, you know, everyone in my circle or everyone in the music world is like, yeah, dude, gunk, are you kidding? Like, 
Josh and Dan and Nate. Yeah, hundred percent. Those records are out of control. But like, you know, only the real ones outside of Philly. I feel like no. I feel like those. Like I'm telling you, listener, if you've never listened to Gunk, just freaking do it right now. Like if you don't understand the the gravity of this situation of you never hearing this record, I don't know what to tell yeah, you. Yeah, there's so many threads. I feel like you could do that with like Philly. Uh, music you know i don't even want to put like a subgenre label on it you know like you could go from this person to this person like i remember at one point members of little big league like they were telling me when we were playing with them like it was like oh they also play in that band strand of oaks and i was like what you know it's like it's like to even that kind of jump but you know there's things like i we could just start naming philly bands it's like there was like you know nona there was Year of Glad, you know, um, and that, that, you know, it's just so many things that we could kind of do that. We could just volley them back and forth forever. Um, but that that's what kind of bums me out. Like, I want people. Do you feel like you inher- inherently do that with bands? Like, if you like one of their projects, like you will dig. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have always been a music like connoisseur if you will i don't know if that sounds like i'm a prick or whatever (laughs) saying that but like dude when i was in college uh i was the music director at wkdu in philadelphia for a while and then eventually the program director and i was always you know i was always there like when i went to college i ended up becoming the music director my first week as a freshman which is like insane But I was just helping the current music director, and she was like, ah, I'm going to quit. You want to take over? And I was like, uh, okay. And then, like, you know, my unquelchable thirst for music became, like, you know, I I was forced to listen to, like, 100 CDs a week by, like, all sorts of bands across the country yeah. or the world, and it was fucking great. Some of it was garbage. Some of it was not. I mean, I can't call anything garbage because it's somebody's art, but some of it was not for me and some of it was. Yeah. And um, it was hard to have to pick what was going out and what wasn't going out each week and what we could play and whatnot. But either way, uh, what I'm getting at is like, you know, I I guess I'm still not done with that era. I, I was also like super... I don't know if you were familiar with like trackers, like um, torrent torrent clients, torrent trackers mm-hmm. back in the day, but I was part of like my bloody tracker and like Twee tracker or whatever it was called, like uh, where, you know, one was devoted to shoegaze and one was de- devoted to like Twee pop. And, you know, I just couldn't get enough. I was like, please let me hear this band. Let me hear more of this band. Let me hear this band. So like, you know, years and years ago, like in 2006, 2007, like I was listening to this band, Charlie and the Moonhearts, and this dude, Michael Cronin, played in that band. Ty Seagal mm-hmm. played in that band. Um, I forget what Charlie goes by now, but like that's like, you know, you think of who Ty Seagal is today. And like, I don't know if you follow Michael Cronin or anything, but like I would talk to that dude on message boards. Oh, wow. And, like, yeah. that whole world, that whole, like, Orange County, like, garage rock scene, you know? I was like, I need to know everything about these 
people and like I want to listen to all of their bands and um I don't know it was it was real you know I would get really deep in it and like try to connect with people and try to connect with bands and just like follow that rabbit hole and see where I can come out and like I feel like Neutral Milk Hotel and like the whole Olivia Tremor Control circulatory system like group was what made me this way because I you know I'd be like oh I love Jeff Mangum I like wonder what mm-hmm. else is going on yeah like, like the Elephant you, 7 um, yeah. Elephant 6 yeah Elephant 6 yeah. You hear, I'm adding myself to it I think on <laughs> <laughs> the 7 the ele- <laughs> but exactly yeah <laughs> but yeah I yeah I feel like it's like I, and I know I've I've said this so many times on it but it's like as a kid it's like even when my brother was introducing me to punk it was like he was like social distortion as punk or hot water music and sick of it all. And I was just like, you know, and then like operation, I like, he just told me it was punk, you know? And I was like, Oh, it could be like, whatever, you know, like in a sense, it's just kind of a vibe, you know? And it's like, I didn't have these kind of lines. And what I do like about like the people I knew, you know, yourself included with it from Philly is I felt like there weren't like as defined lines in like what was kind of acceptable to like in a way, if I'm saying that right, in Philly, it was very open to kind of like people liking different things. And uh, like even like my early bands that didn't sound anything like band name, you know, uh, we played shows together, you know, and that was just the way it was. Good music's good music, you know, it's just like, that's, that's what I, I feel very blessed to be, part of that the philadelphia music scene at that time you know like the late aughts and the early teens if you will mm-hmm. like i feel like that's when everyone you know all the bands in the country were all starting to move to philly and there was that big boom and everyone was there and it was just like there's so many great bands but the shows were for a minute really diverse yeah. you would see a lot of different bands playing with different bands like it it didn't even matter you know if you had like a weird shoegaze band and like a hip-hop group and then you know band name and like shit like that like meth mountain didn't sound exactly like band name like you said but like i would go see that bill those are great bands like what you know what and i feel like that was the vibe at that moment and you know people dug that and i talked to pierce from soul glow a little bit about you know, he came in the early teens and he was like, yeah, it, it feels like it got separated. Like all of a sudden, like when more and more people became it, like when more and more bands and people infiltrated the scene and like it started growing rapidly, like it f- became like clicky. Yeah. And like that is when I feel like I feel like that happened around the time that like Dogs on Acid came out and like it got weird you know like for the the warehouse crew and space and people like we got like a reputation as like people you know felt like we were too cool for them or something like like maybe we gave off like a cooler than thou attitude or something but like i've been told by multiple people that they were like we were really intimidated by like you guys you know it's like you guys were a really cool thing and i was like what yeah 
That's like I was like, what? Yeah, I guess it's like I was. I can't. I couldn't say, but I don't think so. I mean, you know, uh, you're currently wearing a tie dye shirt, but I feel like so many of you all. It's almost like you had to wear a tie dye shirt uh, to live in Big Mom's warehouse for a point. You know, you had to wear something Greg made you. You know. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, and so all I all I experienced about it was I felt like when I met you know band name. And then shortly after, just everyone else in the warehouse, it was like, I felt a part of it. You know, like, it's like, I could almost imagine if I got the Christmas card, like, I would be on it, you know, like, but that's how it made me feel, you know, even if that wasn't the case. So to hear someone say, like, it felt, like, accessible, like, you all, like, embraced us with open arms, you know, Uh, just random people from Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, so... Yeah, I feel like, you know, that's, but that's what we always stood for. And that's like what we were always into. And it was crazy to hear like years later that people were like, yeah, it was really intimidating going to the warehouse, you know? And I was just like, what? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't feel, I also didn't feel like y'all were like trying to put on airs, you know, or it wasn't like you had to kind of like dress a certain way or I didn't get any of that kind of feeling that you do sometimes. Like, I don't know, like when I was, in like crust punk kind of bands or something crust punk adjacent it's like you know i don't dress that way so i will never completely fit in those kind of like you know aesthetic things like i didn't feel that way with big mama's warehouse it was like you know i remember like early on like joe and peter like telling me like oh keep doing like the alt country band that you're doing like very supportive of it and wanted to listen to it even you know like we felt at home some people that had liked us in our previous bands when we started playing like alt country it was like they didn't come to our shows anymore and in a way that's understandable but you know it was kind of like i feel like i follow my friends around to whatever they end up doing because you know i like to see where people grow you know like so yeah to hear like that there was something that kind of like Maybe they just couldn't get in the warehouse simply. Like, the warehouse was locked that day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what was crazy, the craziest thing to me was, like, we kind of had an open-door policy. We were like, yeah, if you want to come learn screen printing or, like, come hang out in the main space, like, you could. And that was, like, how I ended up becoming great friends with Dave Collis, Mm -hmm. is Dave, who I play in Slow Mass with now, like, he... I met him in Chicago and he grew up in Philly. So he would come home from college and like be in Philly all summer. So he would just come hang out at the warehouse and like we would jam, he would play drums. We would just simply hang out. Like, you know, it was just a creative space where you could just get into whatever. And like, I feel like people, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the vibe I was trying to give off. I'm sorry if I did a bad job to anyone out there listening. If you felt that, you know, we were pretentious or like uh, exclusive in any way, but like we definitely, I don't know. I wanted to include everyone. I wanted people like even when, you know, when I moved out and we just ran the studio. Like I wanted to teach everyone in the warehouse how to use the studio. Like. Gigi from Soulglow is an incredible engineer and, you know, he got his start. I mean, he probably did it himself a little bit beforehand, but like, you know, he learned how to use the studio and Pierce learned how to use the studio and they did, you know, songs to eat at the sun by themselves in the studio. Yeah. And like, 
it sounds great. They did a great job. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. There was a dude, Dawood, who lived out there who, you know, did hip hop. And I was just like, yo, here, this is how you plug a mic in. This is how you, you know, turn on Pro Tools. This is how you get your levels and whatever. And like that dude, he was like, dude, I feel like a kid again. I mean, he was young. He was like 26 or whatever. But like, you know, it made him really happy to just be able to go in there and just like freestyle over beats. He downloaded on YouTube. Yeah. And, like, he would just do that all the time. Like, when there was nobody in the studio, just go in and do that. And, like, that makes me so happy. It warms my heart when, you know, I can help provide a service to a community when, you know, people are just like, yeah, we want to just, like, learn and do these things. And, like, Greg was the same way, you know. I learned screen printing from Greg. Kat taught me how to do Photoshop. Peter's taught me how to do so many things, you know. Like, everyone there was my teacher and I learned so many things from them. Yeah. Photography with Craig and Tiff, like all the film stuff that Craig was doing was super wild. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's almost like what I, I'm kind of fourth walling at a little bit. Like that's almost like what I was hoping the conversation would be because it's like, I feel like I can't talk about like dogs on acid or Algernon without like just thinking of it all, you know? And that's, what I, I guess just people didn't have that, you know? Um, and I, it's, I feel bad for them, you know, like I, I was looking at it from the outside, but like to get dogs on acid, you know, also just felt like right next to it. Cause clearly it was like Amanda X was practicing or, you know, it was just so many things that were like, you're saying, like just people helping each other with each other's projects and, you know, just big breakfasts and things that, you know, I can't imagine like those few years of when I got to know y'all, like, I, you know, it, it almost like makes me like want to cry in a way, like, cause it's like, I needed that at my, at time in my life and like felt like it kind of motivated me to do something. Yeah. That was the thing is it's just like, it had something everybody needed at that time in their life. Just like, you know, whether it was just the camaraderie or like I wanted to play music at all hours of the night and I essentially could mm -hmm. there. So it was just like, you know, I started the super weeks. Well, the weeks in which became the super weeks because I was just like, we have a fucking recording studio in our house. Yeah. Like I, I am living the dream who can make a song with me right now. And that's how that project started was just like whoever was around. I was like, I have a song. Let's go record it. And like, you know, that's what I needed to do. I learned how to be self-sufficient uh, with everything in DIY, like how to make shirts, how to print everything, how to save money. Like I worked at a shitty coffee shop, you know, I made fucking nothing. I was living off of nothing. So it was just like, you know, it. we all had the tools and resources that we could share with each other so that we could be successful in our own little way, you know, so we could achieve the things that we all wanted to do. And I think that that built everybody up and, you know, that support was a wonderful thing. And I think that, um, you know, being able to step out of my room, I'm a very introverted person. I know I might not seem that way when you see me in person or whatever, but like, I am the happiest when I don't have to leave my room. Mm -hmm. And, living at the warehouse was awesome because I had 
my room as the safe space. But like, if I was like, I need people, I could just walk out of my bedroom door and there was always something going on. And I could just be like, well, nothing to do today. Let's go see what's going. Oh, Pete and Joe, you guys are going to buy a van today. Let's go see what's happening. Oh, do you want to go check the sun-dried tomatoes you're making on the, you know, dashboard of your old van because it hasn't moved in months? <laughs> and it's just like, you know, shit like that was just like every day. Mike Bell's like, hey, let's go take pictures on my Volvo before I junk it so we can pay for mastering the Mike Bell and the movies record. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just like so many fond memories, so many... So much fun just to like get involved with what your friends are doing, you know, and it just made it that much more accessible. Every yeah. <laughs> it's just it was just there. And I wonder, uh, I guess we were kind of like talking about when it started, clicks started kind of going a different way, but it's also like probably around the time that like the reference I can think of is like, you know, Hopalong got signed to like Saddle Creek, and you know, even I guess with Dogs on Acid getting on J Tree, it's like so many of your friends' bands were getting on like well, labels they weren't running themselves, you know. Um, and so I guess almost like press was telling people out in the world like what this thing is. You know, and so that starts creating like splits in the scene just because it's like, well, this is shoegaze and that is indie rock, so never the twain shall meet is how a lot of times I feel like people do it or like are there like even recently, a few days ago, someone was like, "What what band do you think would fit the show?" And I'm like, "Just look at any local Charlotte band and put them on it. Like that's really the answer. Like if they're friends, put with the you, one you like. Yeah, who do you like yeah. that you know? Maybe who do you want to see? Yeah, and they were like, "But what, does that fit the vibe?" And it's like, who cares? Like just play with your friends or play with someone that you you know you haven't played with yet. You know." Uh, like I get that they're trying to look at it from a business perspective, you know, I understand that, but like personally, I think that the most successful show is going to be the one where you like the band, mm -hmm. you know, where like if people trust your taste and you're curating the show, like people are going to probably come, you know, they're going to trust your taste. Like it's always nice to get a band that draws more, but like, it's also nice for the touring bands to see bands that they, that don't make them want to kill themselves, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's in a lot of those instances, like if we came to uh, Philly, it's like, actually, I think all the shows were good, but even if they weren't, you know, it's like, I would still see you or I would see like Chris Deem, you know, like we haven't mentioned 1994, you know? During, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was, I was going to go into, you know, uh, everyone you know <laughs> yeah. a post dogs on acid nick's band yeah with nick and christine and andrew who played in a uh, prawn and chris you know deem obviously like that band's incredible i don't know if you've you i'm sure you've listened to them they put out you know a, a four song ep on fucking asian band. yeah like it's you know uh yeah 1994 fucking I, I love Chris so much. Like he's such a fucking such a guy. Yeah, but that's that's the I don't know. It's such a such a nice thing to, you know, I'm sure I'm sure every time you came to Philly you were also playing with minimum one friend's band. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sure that it's, you know, I feel like most of the time that any of our bands would come down to Charlotte, like if you could play it, you know, late bloomer would play it or all right would play it. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's always just, I like touring. I tour so that I can originally I toured because I wanted to see the world and eat food and meet people. And since then I have met many lifelong friends and now I want to go back and play with their bands and see them. And like, if they're not playing music anymore, I want to hang out yeah. and like, you know, experience what their life is like. And that's what, I don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's always like a fun thing. It's like, if you go to like a city and you're like, you're like, Oh, you know, this person moved out West. So I'd like to see them while I'm in California, you know, or something. It's like, yeah, I like that. I don't want to say more than playing with their bands, but it's like, you know, it's just to like see that person when this is really the only logical way that I'll be able to do that uh, Mm -hmm. is an amazing feeling, you know? Uh, Yeah. Like, like you said before, you like to watch how people grow. And I feel like that is, you know, that's really a big part of it. All the, you know, being able to, travel the country and see all the dudes from that band monument i don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. them i'm sure you do um but you know anton lives out in the pacific northwest now and you know a lot of them still live down in that neighborhood you know gabe has children uh it's just like it's nice to see how they grew it's nice to that you know i guess that's the one thing i do like about social media is it's like oh i haven't been able to see a monument show in almost a decade but like Every time I'm in D.C., I'll see Brandon without fail. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I guess, like, that makes me just kind of, like, want to shift gears into you and what you're up to. And I feel like you kind of, you know, dropped some of it while we were talking. So what have, what have you been up to then? Uh, well, I, uh, since Mama's isn't really a recording studio, I've been working out of a studio called Second Street Music, which is kind of, you know, it's not quite finished yet still under construction but like both of us were like okay well we're just gonna set everything up like the rooms are mostly rooms there's not necessarily drywall on it but maybe that'll sound cool and it does so that's cool and uh been recording out of there and uh super weeks uh put out our video game over quarantine which we'd been working on since 2016 like we started recording those songs you know half a year after Corey passed and mike bell played bass on it and um you know that band kind of didn't do anything for a while because you know Corey died and it was just rough for all of us and uh yeah our friends and team laser beam made teenage blob which is a really fun little game you can get on steam if you haven't played it um they set all of the the six song ep to six video games that go along with the songs at varying levels of interactivity which is very cool um where like there's you know one like guitar hero level and then there's like other parts of the game that are synced in time with the music which is really cool um I don't know. I'm really proud of that. Really excited that that's around. And, uh, you know, Chris and I wanted to start doing the super week, super weekly, supercast. Yeah. 
just just to catch up with our friends and stuff because like I said living at the warehouse we had a recording studio I had all those songs from you know I well I guess I played in the Dangerous Ponies back in the day yeah. and uh we had three songwriters so between Chris Chrissy and I you know we would each record we would go to record would have like 30 to 40 songs that we could pick out of the pool and work out and you know chris and i had a pretty large back catalog of songs from that era so it was just like who's around who wants to record this or i'd write a new one who's around who wants to record this and you know i was like i'm gonna do a song a week and this is before i knew evan from into it over it and knew that he did like the 52 weeks or whatever 52 songs whatever he did yeah um and I was like, I'm going to do it. And, you know, did it for like 22 weeks and then uh, stopped, I guess, like just missed a week. And then very shortly after that, uh, our friend asked us to do, you know, uh, she was working at a, a, this place called Cornerstone Agency, which was like, God, I can't even explain it, but essentially what happened was we went and recorded our first actual EP and then Lamo Records was like, oh, we'll put this out. And then we were like, I guess we'll be a band. Yeah. And that was an interesting way to start a band. And so we wanted to go back and finish all of the songs we never actually finished because there were probably 25 in the pipeline from that era. There was like... I think right now at the time of recording we've released 36 episodes of the Supercast and you know there's only four songs that we are re-recording because they were only in their demo phases when they were brought to the band um so it's essentially just like our our excuse to talk to our friends get our friends to play music with us again, get them on songs and, you know, uh, finish up these 52 songs that we started in 2012. So it's been a lot of work because I'm somebody that loves to make so much work for myself and keep myself busy, but you can't get the bad thought. The bad thoughts don't get in if you, you keep yourself busy. So, uh, you know, that's really been the the big one was working on the supercast. I've been teaching myself how to mix a lot. Like I know that sounds insane as I'm a recording engineer, but uh Chris and I worked on records together for so long. Mm-hmm. Like up until about 2017, 2018, 2018 probably, we had to like start working separately because we couldn't afford to live anymore working together because our rate was so low and it was like two people granted. I still, I think Chris is the greatest mixing engineer I know. And I strive to be anywhere near as good as him, but I figured in order to, you know, round out my abilities, I should probably get much better at it. So I've been doing a lot of the mixing of the song week stuff and just like allowing myself to, I'm just trying to learn. I'm always so fascinated by, I don't know. I, I wish I could like, I wish school started when you were like 27, you know? Yeah. Like school, school was completely fucking wasted on me as a child. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to learn anything, but now I'm like 
God, everything's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of feeling of just like I just think about all the things that I don't know, which sounds really silly. And then it's like I just just run towards that. And I don't do a great job at it all the time, but it's like, you know, it's like there's so much like jazz that I don't know exists. <laughs> and it's like there's so many like uh, I'm going to be speaking your language. It's like for someone that I'll say I didn't like Grateful Dead for so long. It's like now there's an overwhelming amount that I could eventually, you know, get into. Like now that I've cracked the code finally, you know. Oh, you like the dead now. You've gotten into the dead. I, I have. Yeah. I would have expected you to earlier, especially being in alt country tinged bands. Like I feel like they're a hop, skip and a jump away. Well, you know there was always saying? just that kind of like the um, just that punk element of like, just without even really discovering it, you're just like, Grateful Dead sucks. You know, it's like a punk kid is what I was always told. And I guess you never had that kind of thing in your ear or you just didn't listen to it. I don't know. Uh, my dad, my parents love the Grateful mm -hmm. Dead and my dad followed them on tour kind of guy. So like growing up, I only heard the Grateful Dead and like Led Zeppelin from him, essentially. I mean, I learned a lot of other great music from him, but like... When I was younger, I was like, fuck this shit, dude. I don't want to listen to dad music. Like, yeah. fuck this. And then, you know, a little bit later on, um, actually right after college, I mean, I had been like experimenting with them a little bit in college. It was just like when you are in your own like alternative lifestyle or you're in a different group of people um, that aren't quote unquote hippies or like your hippie adjacent or whatever like the people that are often championing the dead are rather off-putting yeah yeah like that's that's really what turned me off to it it's not like like i've definitely was always you know always identified as kind of a hippie or like like that kind of lifestyle but it's like that specific kind of person who's just like, you know, I guess like the jam band scene, like I still think most jam bands are like not for me. I can't say they suck because I'm sure they're really great at their instruments or whatever yeah, it is totally. that they're trying to do. But like I never, if I never had to fear, hear fish again in my life, my life would be better for it. Yeah. And I will, I will acknowledge that farmhouse is an incredible song and I listen to it all the time but i would be willing to never listen to that song again if that means that i never had to hear any of their other songs again and like the that the that kind of music and like the people that champion that kind of music were the kind that i was just like oh like you like mo and string cheese incident and like you know government mule and yeah. like i just can't get like this is just like also corny and silly to me and i'm so glad you like it but like it's doing nothing for me yeah and it, then you know hearing the grateful like actually hearing it one of my friends lauren adams um who i believe plays in thin lips at this point like chrissy's best friend um lauren made a post online on facebook in like 2010 or 11 that was like you know jail guitar doors by the clash is like one of the greatest songs ever 
uh, you know, like, fuck the Grateful Dead. They're never going to be anywhere near as good as The Clash. Like, China Cat Sunflower is a joke. Like, something along that. You know, it was probably way more well-written, but, like, it was, like, something to that effect. And I was like, Jail Guitar Door is, like, is not even a good Clash song. Yeah. Like, that's... The Clash have, like, so many incredible songs that I love, and Jail Guitar Doors is not one of them. And I was like, so I should probably go listen to this China Cat Sunflower song because, like, I have a feeling that Lauren is wrong, and, like, I want to hear what this song is about. And then I put that song on, and I was like, wow, not only is Lauren wrong, but this is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, I need to listen to The Grateful Dad more. Yeah, And that's, like... Once I learned about them being like super psychedelic and I don't know, learning about the whole, the way that they did their second and third albums where they just like the record label just threw a ton of money at them and they just like made the records themselves and it's super DIY sounds like absolute trash and nobody liked those records at that time. Like, I don't know. I'm like, this band is more punk than I fucking ever thought that this band was. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. That was the moment for me where I was like, oh, the Grateful Dead is a punk band. They're just a punk band that like blew up on like another level. And like watching that Martin Scorsese film, Long Strange Trip, like further solidifies that for me. Mm. Oh, well, I have a lot of homework to do in that regard. I mean, I, I've caught myself being like, well, I have to kind of work on something. So I'll just put on like a live album, you know, and just kind of let it be, you know, in the background. And I'm like, I like it. But I still like, you know, I have a friend, uh, Stephen, that played in like Ampere and like Kindling. And he just, it feels like on a weekly basis, like, you know, send me something Jerry Garcia related or uh, some live album, you know. And so, so there's still a lot, there's like hesitancy, almost in a way that it's like, if I go in more, it's going to like change my life so much. And, you know, it's like, you know, I own a home and like, I can't, you know, I, I got to figure out like, you know, I got to be tethered. I'm worried that I'm going to become untethered, but I don't hate it. It won't. You won't. <laughs> you won't become untethered. I promise you. I'm also, the live stuff still isn't for me in a lot of cases. Like, I don't like all of the eras of the dead. I like the early dead. I like when they were a psych rock band. I like all the way through Europe 72. I think, you know, 68 to 72 is the sweet spot for the dead for me. I think some of their studio albums that came out in the late 70s I can relate with and I really love. But I think when they came back in 74 after taking that year off and, you know, all the way through to Jerry's death, uh, I didn't love the direction that they moved in musically with the live shows. I'm sure it would have been different if I was actually there seeing them. But, like, you know, since hindsight is twenty twenty, like, I can look back and like pick and choose and like you know there's some good shows uh you know my dad always listens to cornell 77 which is a classic one um there was one like maybe somewhere in kentucky in 1974 that like you know i every every year on his birthday not the past few years but any year that i was on tour on his birthday i would call him and ask what dead show i should listen to on the drive that day yeah so that's that's kind of my introduction to live dead but like everyone who's not into the dead or like is afraid to take the plunge i'm like you know just start with american beauty start with working man yeah, like, just listen to too. the studio albums they're like 
I think that they're right up there with, you know, like after the gold rush and, uh, damn the torpedoes and like all of these records that I think are canon, you know what I mean? Um, fucking whatever that Bob Dylan record is. I was literally having this conversation with my friend, Russell, Russell Edling from golden apples and cherry and kite party. Mm, yeah. Like just quite literally an hour before <laughs> talking. Cause he isn't a huge dead guy. And I was like, look, Russell, it just hasn't hit you yet, but like based on everything I know about you and the music you like, you will like this band in some capacity. Yeah. And I think that's just, that's it. Like, I think people are just turned off from the image that they got after they got so big and the kind of people that it would attract. And, you know, Russell was saying like he got turned off to it because, you know, people would pick on him like the people that listen to the grateful dead and like classic rock and stuff in high school would like pick on him for being into like weird alternative rock and punk and like being an alternative kid. Yeah. And that's what turned him off. And I'm like, that's so insane to me because that goes so much against like the grateful dead's ethos as it is. I'm just like posers. Yeah. I felt like growing up uh, on the, like on the coast, uh, there were kind of like evil hippies and kind of like, almost just like lawyers with flip-flops and stuff. And then even like my dog growing up had a uh, in Grateful Dead uh, dog collar. And so it just almost felt like less of like a band and more of like a commercial statement, you know? And so it's kind of like was hard, really hard for a long time to divorce myself from it and just kind of take it as it is, which a lot of times is like the point of this podcast, kind of like can I look at something with like fresh eyes that I haven't, been able to um you know so, so that's where i was coming at it you know but you know i mean before we go crazy into the dead and this becomes a, a dead album in itself live album in itself you know i super appreciate you talking to me about dogs on acid and like a dead record i love that it went all these other places that you wouldn't have expected it to do i i hope i did a good job you know um the best job letting people you know uh, accurately identifying the warehouse and what it was about and talking about dogs on acid and uh that whole situation and i i think it's really just listen to the lyrics on that record mm-hmm. next you know it's a really good breakup record regardless but just like for anyone listening just listen to the lyrics on that record i think that they're magnificently written and i think uh you know if you haven't listened to yankee bluff or hop along or uh, you know, any of the bands that members went on to do Nate, Nate Dion solo stuff or every when is what Nick's been playing. Just like all that stuff that we mentioned before gunk, any of those bands, just go check it all out because the amount of talent and amount of like incredible stuff that comes out of those four people is just like unfair. Yeah. To this day. I would, I would, yeah, I would just like go down that rabbit hole and, you know, I'm just telling all of you out there, go down that rabbit hole and like, listen to what, yeah. when we mentioned a band, write it down. Uh, I wish we said that in the beginning of the podcast, not, not the very end of it. (laughs) Um, but also, you know, go listen to bad heaven. I've been playing with John and Chris and Nate all, you know, that we've mentioned before in bad heaven lately. Um, and John's about to put out that record and I'm super proud of it. And I think, 
John did an amazing job writing those songs. I think it's some of the coolest stuff he's made till date. That's another person who, like, you know, everyone's just like, snowing, snowing, snowing. And John's just like, I have this project. And I personally, like, I love snowing. All of the people in that band are very close Mm -hmm. friends of mine. But I think that Bad Heaven blows that shit away. The very first time that I heard Cool Hell by Bad Heaven, I was was blown away. And then the fact that John approached me to record their second album, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, This band is amazing. And now I get to play in the band, too. So... Uh, everyone go listen to bad heaven that's i guess you know i'm not trying to necessarily promote myself or be like look at me i'm so great because i like didn't really do anything but john is an amazing songwriter and there's way more out there than snowing yeah not to discount snowing again but i just love john and i love bad heaven a lot i want people to listen to that band (laughs) and stop asking him about snowing please do also, to conclude my plugs or whatever else it is that I'm doing, I play in a band called No Thank You. We're working on a new record. Katie's been working on some, uh, you know, acoustic solo jams and stuff, so you'll be hearing from us shortly. In the meantime, we have a couple albums up on all the streaming platforms and, you know, Bandcamp or whatever. You can find all my bands there or anywhere. If you feel like listening, listen to all the bands we talked about. Music is cool. Thanks for having me, Josh. Peace. Welcome back. Thanks again to Evan Bernard for coming on the pod. Check out the newest Super Weeks EP slash video game, Teenage Blob. Also check out the newest No Thank You album, Embroidered Foliage, both out now on Lamo Records. Stay tuned for new Bad Heaven. Okay, next week we're talking with Ben Leipsch of You, Me, and Everyone We Know about Phantom Planet's 2008 album, Raise the Dead. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. And follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and just simply tell a friend. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay. See you next week.